you want to open up to Matthew 25. As I prayed and thought about what the Lord wanted me to share today, there were two things that I was taking into account primarily. The first was the fact that this is a baptism Sunday. We had the chance to celebrate with Graham the new life that he's received as a believer in Christ. And I thought to myself, I would love if, if we can follow that up with a consideration of what it, what it really means to live in light of that what it means to hand our life over to God, follow him with everything that we have. The other factor that's being taken into account is my role as disciple, care, connection pastor, and kind of the the task that Brent and I have taken on of putting together some core classes, some, some topics, discussions that would help everybody grow a little bit more in their faith, and, uh, and what God has pressed on me that I, I am uh, feeling called to bring up next and, and do a class on next is the topic of stewardship, particularly financial stewardship. For the next six Sundays before church, we're going to be watching a sermon series together by Dave Ramsey um, on financial stewardship. And so I thought, God, if what I speak on today could be a, a, a kickoff for that, a way of pushing everybody to recognize the importance of how we use our resources. That would be awesome. The passage that he brought to mind was what's commonly called the parable of the talents. It's in Matthew 25. There's one story before it. It's it's actually part of a series of little analogies and stories that Jesus is talking about how we should be acting in preparation for the day that he returns. And so in this series, first he talks about the idea of servants being good and willing to be excited for the return of their master. Then he brings up the example of bridesmaids and groomsmen getting ready to share in a wedding celebration. And he talks about the fact that one of the things that the groom expects of his wedding party is readiness. That when the groom comes back, he wants to find them waiting for him. And with all of the the lifestyle choices that go along with that. And so as he turns to this other parable, the parable of the talents, I think what Jesus is answering is, what does that readiness look like? What does it mean to live ready for the return of Christ? And his answer is stewardship. Taking care of, making good use of the gifts and resources that have been given to us by God. That's what readiness looks like. Let's read the parable together and then we'll dig into it a little bit. He says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. 
He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here are two talents more. And his master has said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be more given. And he... Uh, whoop. And even he, what he has will be taken away. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a bit of a heavy story. Isn't it? I think it shows us three things. Three things that we all need to take into account. Whether we are newcomers to the faith, whether we are long-time participants in the faith. The first is that God gives us all talents. He gives us all gifts. He gives us resources, and he gives them to us differently. Not each of us has the exact same resources. It says he gives according to our ability. In other words, God gives in proportion with what he expects of us, what he thinks we're actually able to accomplish in this life. What is it that he wants for us to accomplish? That's the second thing this shows us. It shows us that the gifts God gives us, he wants us to use for his kingdom, for his use, to advance his property in this world. The two servants who are praised are praised because of the fact that they expanded his wealth. And the servant who didn't is criticized. The least you could have done is invested in the bank and at least gotten me interest, is what he says. So first we see that he's given us all gifts according to our abilities. And the second is that he expects something of us, that we're going to use it for his sake and use it well. Then the third thing we see here is the consequences of how we use our resources. Or rather, I would say the consequences of how we approach our resources. 
There's a little bit of a difference there. You see, he recognizes in the servants who invested the money well that they really got his heart, that they got what he was after. You notice he praises them for being good and faithful. You understood what I desired of you. You went out and you did it, knowing that this is what I wanted. And the benefit, the benefit is that they're invited right into his joyful presence. They get to share in his wealth. You caught that? He said, come, enter into the joy of your master. In other words, you get to be part of my family, part of my resources, part of my kingdom. But the one who didn't, he calls him out. He says, you didn't, you didn't get at all what I was after. Your heart was not my heart. At first, I struggled a little bit with this particular part of the passage. When you listen to what the servant says, it sounds like he's pretty bang on at first. He says, I knew you were a hard man. That you, you, you like to benefit from the work of others. So I was scared, is the excuse that he gives. I was scared that you were going to hold me accountable for something wrong. You are going to punish me. How does the master answer? On first read, it seems like he flips out. <laughs> Come on, man. If you knew I was evil, well, then at least you should have put it in the bank. <laughs> if you knew I was going to punish you, at least you could have gotten me some interest. That seems to be his response. Like, yeah, you know that I'm mean, so now I'm going to be mean to you. But as I read it over and over and over, I'm not sure that's actually what's happening. And I think it really does revolve around what he, what he tells him that he could have done. And what he accuses him of. I think what he says is, I hear what you're saying. You say that you were scared of me. But if you were really scared, in your own self-interest, the least you could have done is put it in the bank. I'm not sure that was really your motive. You say that was your motive. You say that you were scared of me. But actually, I think you were just plain slothful. I think he's actually seeing right to the heart of what the servant who got one talent actually felt. He wasn't really scared. This, he might have been a bit scared, but that was more of an excuse. Because he could have done the bare minimum to go and invest it. Not hard to go hand it to people who are going to lend that money out and say to him, go get the interest on that. Instead, he was responding in bitterness to what he thought of this master. He was saying, I don't want anybody to reap from my work, so I'm just going to put it in a hole, let it sit there, and he can have his money back when he gets back. That's what the heart of the servant was. And so he accuses him of being wicked and slothful. I think the word slothful is really important here. Normally when we think of the word slothful in our context, in the English language, normally what, what, we, what we hear is somebody who doesn't work hard. Somebody who's lazy. Actually, in the Greek, the word is a little bit different. The, work, the word is uh, Acadia, 
And the word Acadia goes deeper than the surface-level laziness that we often think of when we think of sloth. Acadia is a heart condition, not a lifestyle problem. It's, it's a lack of motivation in everything that we do. What Jesus accuses him here of is being flippant, not thinking that what he does with this money is really that important. Who really cares anyways? I can put it in the hole. He can have it back. No one's for the worse. That's what the servant is thinking, and he's accusing him of this Akedia. I think this is important because that heart condition is such an easy thing to fall into. It's so easy for us to fall into a place where we think, you know what, who really cares? Does it really matter? I'm not sure that anyone's going to actually come asking what I did with this that God has given me. I can just do whatever I want with it. doesn't really matter. In fact, in some ways, our culture has taught us to think this way through and through. The truth is we're told over and over again, what you have is yours. Go ahead. Enjoy it for what it is. Don't worry too much about what other people think. And Jesus is trying to show us, no, no. There are consequences to that. To let yourself sit there. To let yourself be apathetic this way. To be slothful. Is going to cost you all of the benefits of being in God's kingdom. Because it shows you really weren't in it in the first place. It shows that you really weren't interested in the things of God. All you were really worried about was your own comfort your own security. That's what's being pointed to here. The way that we steward our resources reflects whether or not we really value God and the work that he has for us in this world. I can think of a few different resources that each and every one of us has that we should really be diligent about asking ourselves Am I approaching this with zeal, with excitement, with faithfulness? Or am I approaching this with a sense of sloth, with akedia? I'm thinking this is really not too important what I do with this. The first is time. Each of us has a finite amount of time. It's not, it's not apportioned equally to all of us. There's, there's a website that I had sent to me a couple of years ago. An interesting one. It's called deathclock.com. <laughs> On it, you go in and you plug in. Here's my age. Here's my race. Here's my weight. Here's my height. Whatever. There's a couple of different categories that you fill in. And then what it does is it gives you an approximate estimate of how much longer you have to live. All right? And it starts counting down. <laughs> tick, tick, tick. One last second gone each second. Man, I tell you, that's a bit scary. <laughs> when we stop and recognize... Each and every one of us will live approximately 80 years, give or take 20, right? Assuming that nothing worse happens to us than happens to most people, in which case it could be a lot less than 80, right? When we stop and think about the fact that every second that ticks by is another second lost, another precious resource that God has given us in the finite world of time. 
That's a challenging idea. And we can respond one of two ways to it. We can recognize what God wants us to do at that time, to redeem it, to use it for his kingdom instead of our own kingdom. Or we can waste it. We can play it safe, bury it in the ground, do whatever we feel comforts us a little bit. Refuse to let anybody else use it for their gain the way that that last servant did. I've been guilty of that. For me, one of the periods of time that I regret the most in terms of how I stewarded my resources was my four years at Trent University. The truth is, for most of that period of time, I I just took it pretty easy. With my time, I spent an awful lot of time doing silly things, like playing video games. I look back and I go, how many hours? I spent three, four hours a day, some, a lot of days, on video games. I think, wow, what a waste of my time. I wish I could have those seconds back, use them for something much better. Another resource that each and every one of us has is energy. This one's a little bit more abstract. We can't look at a clock and see the seconds ticking away. But one of the helpful analogies that I've read in an article, actually, that was sent to me by Larissa, who's at the back, one of my university students at Trent, or ex-university students now. (laughs) It was an article talking about spoons. It said the amount of energy we have is a lot like a pile of spoons that's been given to us. We each have a certain amount of it. Okay, maybe, maybe the average person has 10 spoons. Maybe somebody who's really healthy, really alive, really energetic has 12 spoons. Somebody who has a chronic illness, you have to take away half of those. Somebody who's struggling with depression, anxiety, you have to take away another one or two. Some people really only have two or three spoons. That they can only do two or three significant things through the day. And sometimes those things are getting up eating, going to work. The truth is, not all of us have the same energy. And God doesn't expect all of us to do the same things with the resources he's given us. I think he is patient with those of us who don't have the energy anymore to do a lot of meaningful things. But what he does ask all of us to do is to think carefully about how am I investing this energy? Am I investing it meaningfully? Or am I holding back? Am I holding on to it? Am I burying it in the ground because I'm, I'm afraid or, or I really don't want other people to have control over where that energy goes? Do you invest your energy prayerfully? Or do you invest in it however you feel like is best? Again, in my Trent years, I recognize I really didn't make a lot of good use of my energy. I didn't put it into productive things. Even when I was out with friends, it, it wasn't terrible, licentious things that I was doing, but it tended to be mostly lost, wasteful. The things that I considered meaningful were not really that meaningful. The third resource all of us have been given are gifts, spiritual and natural. God gives us capacities, abilities that he wants to use in order to expand his kingdom. That changes with each and every one of us. Again, we don't have the same gifts. Not only do we have different gifts on the spectrum, some of us might have 
a gift of leading worship. Some of us might have a gift of teaching and preaching. Some of us might have a gift of hospitality. There's quite a range of different things that people have been given in this life. But even in the particular gifts, we have differing capacities. So when it comes to a gift of learning and knowledge, for example, not everybody has the same capacity for that. God doesn't expect more of us than our capacities give us. Again, he calls us, though, to use the gifts that we do have meaningfully for his kingdom, to avoid akedia, and to embrace faithful living, stewarding of our resources. For me, that's maybe the one that I regret the most out of my Trent years. The truth is, I am intelligent. I'm good at school. I've learned that sense when I went off to a master's degree. And I actually started applying myself. And my teacher said, Ben, you're really good at this. You need to keep on learning. You need to keep on writing papers. You need to actually go further with your academic career. At Trent, I didn't care. It's not that I didn't know it. In fact, I did know it pretty well. But what I would do is I would use that intelligence to kind of get my way around the tests. Right? I wouldn't cheat, but I'd cut corners. Okay, if I learn these things... I'll be fine. I don't have to learn the whole amount. If I don't do my readings but I go to class, I can kind of pick up on the ideas that other people are saying, and then I can write the paper. Don't worry too much about whether I actually learned anything. I actually use my resources well. I honestly, I look back on that and go, I spent four years in university, and maybe one of those years, my last one, I actually really learned. What a waste. What a waste of my gifts. Does God not want us to take our gifts and really apply them and use them for the good purposes he has in this world? And the last one, probably not the last on a list we could go on for a long time with, but the last one that I know all of us have to differing capacities is money. That's the analogy used in this parable. The parable is a parable of money. And it's easy to overlook that one, to say, well, that one's less important. But no, it's not. Money is really a placeholder for all of the time and energy that we've invested in work, for the excess that has come back to us beyond our bare survival. Again, we have different capacities, differing amounts of money. There are those of us who literally live paycheck to paycheck. Our money is spent on the things that we need. God's not going to say to you, hey, Why did you buy food instead of giving it to someone? (laughs) That's not God's deal. He's not asking you to give up something that you don't have. But for those of us, and I would say most of us are probably in this category, who do have excess, who have more than just the bare necessities, he calls us to the exact same thing with those resources that he calls us to with the others. Steward them well. Use them for my kingdom, not yours. Don't be apathetic. Don't think that nobody's going to hold you to account for the way that you use your money. I will. I want to know what it is that you're holding back from me. One of the most beautiful stories in the New Testament, to me, is the story of the widow with her pennies. When she goes forward and she gives all that she has for the sake of God's kingdom. This is her excess, two pennies, and yet she feels the need to give it all. One of my favorite songwriters, Keith and Kristen Getty, they wrote In Christ Alone. They have another song. 
called Simple Living. And it's, a, it's that story. And in it, they call forth the fact that it's not what we give that the king is counting. It's what we hold back. It's very easy for us to give large amounts, but if we're still holding back the majority of it for our own kingdom, he's going to come and say, wait a minute. Did you not think I cared how you used that other portion? You need to use it for good, not for evil. In the case of money, there's lots of patterns that we can learn to build that up. This is not simply a call. Go out and give away everything that you have. Sometimes God does call people to that. There are many missionaries whose journey has been started by God saying, go, literally give away everything that you have. I don't think that's his call for all of us. That's certainly not what this parable points us towards. What we are called to is stewardship. Being wise with the way that we use our money and all of those other resources. Saying that I've only got a finite amount, but I'm going to look to use it as wisely as possible to make sure that it's not just going to waste, but that it's actually being used for God's purposes in this world. I really believe we need more people who can use their money, their time, their energy, their gifts, and be kingdom entrepreneurs. People who invest it in creative ways, ways that go outside of the box and really generate a lot of amazing good in this world for God's sake. And God is going to ask us, was that you? Were you one of those who was faithful with the little that I entrusted you with? If so, I'm going to give you a lot in my kingdom. You're going to get to be a big part of the life and joy and celebration that goes on there. But maybe at this point, you're thinking, okay, I kind of get that I should. But I'm holding back a little. I'm not, I'm not really convinced yet. You've told me that I should, but why? Or maybe you're even in the category of somebody who is actually scared, worried by this image of God that he might come knocking on our door and ask us what we did. And you think, is he really as mean as this master in this story? For me, one of the, one of the passages that answers this One of the passages that is really central in fighting Acadia in our own lives, slothfulness in our own lives, is Philippians 2. Right at the start of the chapter. Paul writes, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue confess, 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, here Paul gives us a very similar admonition to what Jesus is giving in the parable of the talents. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And the motive that he gives? What should be the driving force in our generosity, in our willingness to steward our resources for others instead of ourselves, for God's kingdom instead of our own? Christ. Jesus. The love that he showed. You see, Jesus Christ was the Son of God, is the Son of God. Could get a little heretical with that one. (laughs) Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Into eternity past, he had everything to his name. There was nothing in the world which was not counted as his. You want to know how many spoons Jesus had when it comes to energy? Infinite. You want to know how many seconds Jesus has? Infinite. He has infinite resources. All the wealth, all the treasures of this earth were his. But what did he choose to do with that? He emptied himself. Instead of remaining at a distance, saying, I'm going to use all this infinite supply for my own joy, for my own good, he said, I'm going to share what I have with others. He became a human being limiting himself in a way that he had never been limited before. And then he went further. He said, in order to show my love for you, in order to show how much I want to spend my infinite resources on you, I'm going to go to death on the cross, the lowliest form of death. I'm going to be treated the way that the scum of the earth should be treated. He emptied himself. He went from infinite glory on high to infinite shame, being treated as the lowest of the low. That fall is a gap we cannot even fathom. And God says, I honored Christ for that. I have set him above the earth again, given him back all the riches that he chose to empty himself of for your benefit. All I'm asking of you, would you do the same? I know you don't have infinite resources, but would you use what you have, empty them, give them up for others, pour yourself out for the benefit of my kingdom and my people? That's what I ask of you. If you're holding back, maybe it's because you need to gaze again at the amazing emptying of the Son of God, his willingness to pour himself out to lose infinite resources for our benefit. It's a good thing. It goes beyond anything we can ask or imagine. And it's encouraging and convicting to me to do better. Better than I did in my Trent years, but also better than I've done in the past week. I want to be the kind of man who stewards his resources well. Could we be men and women who approach that diligently. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you did send your son to empty himself. That you have 
promised us that if we follow him down that path of emptying ourselves, of living for others, of dying to ourselves, that you will fill us again. That the riches we will receive are the riches of Christ that go beyond, far beyond anything we can ask or imagine. Father, let us be the type of people who hold what we have loosely so that we can gain the things of heaven rather than the things of earth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.